This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I'm Jeff Rubin, and I'm very excited because this is a pizza episode, and we're talking about pizza with Julia Collins of Zoom Pizza. Julia, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm great. Probably first thing people got to know about Zoom, if they're trying to Google it, just already they're intrigued. Got to know it's spelled Z-U-M-E pizza. That's right. There's no umlaut over the U, but it is pronounced Zoom. Okay. So, Zoom Pizza uh, what would you say makes Zoom Pizza different from other pizzerias? The most important thing that Zoom does that's totally different than anything anyone else is doing in the world <clears throat> is that we actually have a patented technology that allows us to cook pizza while we're delivering it to the customer. So that means that the pizza, when it arrives at your house, is coming straight out of the oven. There's no dwell time. There's no opportunity for the pizza to get soggy or cold or hang out in a cardboard box. Not that we use cardboard boxes, but that's that's the single most important piece of, of innovation at Zoom, baking uh, on the way. Uh, so the, the ovens are in the car, baking on the way, but that's not it. There's actually, uh, there's a little more if you keep going up the food chain, right? That, that, that's not the only innovation. Yeah, exactly. You know, when my partner Alex and I got together, we realized that we were both huge nerds. And the nice thing about being a nerd is that you feel like you have the power to rewrite all the rules. So we just decided to, to do that beginning to end. So another pretty cool thing that we do is that our chefs are assisted by pizza robots. So essentially some of the more repetitive, unsafe or mundane tasks that are involved in pizza preparation, like sticking your hand in and out of an 800 degree oven a thousand times a day. Those steps are automated with these highly flexible production-grade robots that we have installed in our commissary facility. I'm pretty sure Pizza Robots was a cartoon I used to watch in the 80s, but now it's a real thing. It's, it's, we're living it. It's a reality. What is your background, and what, what, how did you get into this? Is it food? Is it tech? Well, I was probably watching the Pizza Robots cartoon with you right after the Snorks. Or, or, um, but my background is uh, really in math and science as a kid. I was a, a big sort of science geek in high school. I went off to Harvard to study biomedical engineering. Um, but in my heart and soul, I always really wanted to be in the food business. It's just that, you know, I come from a pretty traditional African-American family. It's very achievement-oriented family. And so when I, I, I told my grandmother that I wanted to be in the food business, I think her reaction is that she broke down in tears and ran out of the room. <laughs> so it took a little while, I think, for me to uh, really realize that, you know, when you grow up and you kind of <clears throat> uh, have to figure out your life, you really have to do what's in your heart. You can't live for what your your family's expectations are. So um you know, I, I, went, I went to business school actually in 2009 to figure out how to make a career in food. Um, I didn't want to just sort of work at a restaurant. I wanted to own the restaurant. I didn't want to just own the restaurant. I wanted to own several of them. I didn't want them to just be restaurants. I wanted them to be these like centers of innovation where people had the best dining experiences of their lives. So I definitely have the technical background, but the food is, is really what's in my heart and my soul. 
Why would anyone, and I say this with all due respect, want to open a restaurant? It seems miserable. Like, I mean, I love restaurants, and I love that you opened ones. I'm very appreciative. But I just, it's just something I, I can't imagine doing myself. Well, why is it? Like, what do you think it is about uh, the food service industry that attracted you? I mean, it, opening a restaurant really is an act of love. Um, it's something you do because you feel this burning desire to bring something into the world that hasn't existed. You have to be, you know, half crazy to do it. And it is literally the hardest way to make a buck, I think, that exists. Um, But it's an act of love. You know, when I was in New York, I worked on a super cool project called Minton's, which was a jazz club. So imagine this jazz club in Harlem, you know, that opened in the 1940s, and it's the birthplace of bebop. I mean, Dizzy and Ella and Duke and Mingus, everybody played there. And then it goes vacant and dark for like 40 years. Well, if, you know, a wealthy man came up to you and said, you know, Jeff, we've got the opportunity to revive and open this jazz club together. And we're going to serve this amazing food there. Wouldn't you want to do it? I mean, doesn't that sound awesome? That does sound appealing. So in a situation like that, what do you actually do? Is it setting the menu? Is it buying uh, decorations and kind of setting the tone, the decor? <laughs> or like Decorations. You, decorations you decorations is where it starts, right? <laughs> this, just, yeah. just to reveal how little I know about the food service industry, <laughs> decorations was number two on my list. I was like, well, you got to have food, and then I guess, you know, some Clearly, tinsel. Clear. Yeah, there's going to be some party favors. But, you know, no, there's, I- there's an establishing of, uh, of the... Uh, not a point of view, but a, a vibe okay. anyway, right? Absolutely. You know, the hard thing about fine dining is you have programs for everything. You have a china glass and silver program and a flower program and a music program and a lighting program and a decor program, not to be confused with your furniture program or your art program. So there's a what tremendous... What do you mean a program? What does that mean? Like there's an art program or a flower program that's just like an effort to have the right flowers at the restaurant? Yeah, you have to select the right flowers. You have to uh, you have to select where they're going to be placed. You have to purchase them. You have to replace them. You have to pay that bill. The same thing for china, glass, and silver. You have to decide what settings you're going to use for which dishes and what courses. You have to decide how those plates are going to be different or the same, seat by seat or table by table, where they're going to be inventoried, how often you're going to change them, if you use them for banquets, if you only use them for for service dining, if they're different for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So there's all of these, you know, the experience of going into a fine dining restaurant is really quite incredible. You can sense that all this magic is happening, but when you think about the excruciating level of detail that's involved in, say, determining exactly how many ice cubes go in your glass before the water goes in, it's really mind-bogglingly complex. The folks that do it well, you know, are, are, are in my canon of, like, all-time smartest people on earth. You know, folks like Danny Meyer, you know, um, they, just, they just get it. But, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a delicately, it's a delicate system to manage. Um, and, and really mind-bogglingly complex. A lot harder, in fact, than making pizza with robots. What about the food? Like, the food itself, that first item on my list, is that is that where you start, or do you hire a chef, or is it different every time? Yeah, I am not a chef. I am a passionate food lover. I'm a food advocate, and I'm, you know, on a mission for food justice for the world. But I would never be silly enough to open a restaurant and design the menu myself. I always have partnered with a chef. I've always been lucky enough 
to know or to have been introduced to a chef that really inspires me. For example, when I was in New York City, I was working with this young upstart chef named J.J. Johnson, super talented guy, um, and 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 he, we won Best New Restaurant in America in 2014 with J.J. at the helm. But, you know, he's like a young, scrappy New Yorker. This was his first, you know, really big job in the restaurant business, and he did an outstanding, outstanding job. Um but yeah, you have to meet the right person and there has to be really great chemistry there. And um, there has to be great chemistry between the chef and between the person who's going to be running the business. Without that, it's really hard to, to get anything done. What? Have you ever thought about opening a restaurant, Jeff? Is Definitely not. <laughs> I'm so far from opening a restaurant. I've thought of eating at a restaurant. I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat later, but I've, I've never considered opening a restaurant. It just seems, I mean, like you said earlier, it seems uh, the hardest way to make a buck. I think that that seems right. Yeah, it's true. You know, when you're in New York City, uh, it's it's a little bit easier because there, there are so many people that, that are in New York that love restaurants that are willing to make small investments in them. You know, you've got... Right. You know, add that to the short list of things that are easier when you live in New York. (laughs) Maybe that is like one of three. Um, Subway travel. But it's just just getting the investments is easier. So the whole thing is easier. Well, you know, the competition is really fierce in New York. That's for sure. And things like getting Con Ed to turn on the gas for the restaurant are, you know, uh, strangely complex. Um, hiring is difficult. Um, weather sucks. Pardon my language, but you know, oh, having your restaurant yeah. shut down. Yeah, <laughs> if it, you know you're having to trek through a blizzard just to get the the restaurant open, that's really difficult. So there are some benefits to being out here in sunny Silicon Valley. I'll say. I think New Yorkers are maybe I, I, maybe I'm biased here because I'm a terrible cook, but I, as far as I can tell, I think New Yorkers also love eating food and takeout, like. New Yorkers have to be eating out more than anyone else in the country, right? It's possible. But can I just stop you for a second? Because yeah. I never understand when people say this. You say that you're a terrible cook. What, what, yeah. what, 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 what does that really mean? Does well, that mean you can't make a turkey sandwich? Or no, what, what no. are we talking about? Okay, well, you're turning this around on me. Unorthodox, <laughs> but I'll allow it. Uh, I think that it, for me, it's not like... I mean, yeah, I'm pretty good at following instructions. So I think if, if you set me up with something, I could probably do it but i have very little knowledge uh about how to prepare anything i basically like i don't have like a go-to dinner i cook to impress people so i don't have a lot of history a lot of practice um cooking and then on top of that i hate doing it i find it boring and difficult so like (laughs) i'm not practicing i'm not like I'm, I'm, i'm not improving at it as time goes on so like i mean yeah i guess like anything if i set my mind to it i could probably do it but it's just something that I've historically not done a lot of, I don't know a lot about, and I'm not especially, I'm not demonstrating a lot of interest in improving myself. You are delightfully and refreshingly candid. Let's go. This is great. (laughs) One more thing I want to ask you, just in a sort of a general restaurant thing before we move on to Pizza Robots, is when you think about someone like Danny Meyer, who's so good at running restaurants that people have heard of him, or or someone like yourself, like what are the qualities? uh, What do you need to do? What, What is someone, like a good... Someone who is good at running restaurants is good at what? Oh, gosh. You know, I think the most important skill that that Danny has, and it's something that I try to emulate, is empathy. He has this, this, this phrase that he uses, which is, you know, we have to read people's invisible signs. So basically, everybody that comes into your restaurant walks in with this gigantic invisible sign on their forehead. And it's really some version of make me feel important. 
And if you can figure out how to read that sign and give the person what they need, then you're going to do a great job. And that's really just about empathy. It's about this, this, this very human ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and intuit what they need and what they want in order to feel happy. The second thing is just good old-fashioned work ethic. You know, you're going to wake up and you're going to start working from the moment that you open your eyes. And you're going to work on holidays and weekends and late nights. And you have to enjoy that. I get a lot of energy from working. I never... I think if you ask my friends, you'll never hear me complain about working or working too much. I, I, I get a great thrill from it. When you're in the business of serving people during their most special moments in life, which often happen, you know, on the weekends and and, on, and, and during the evening time, you have to just get used to rocking like that. I think it's pretty clear uh, listening to you that you have a, a respect for this art form and, and clearly a passion for it. Um, so... And you've had uh, some great experience in New York, opening up successful restaurants. Uh, when did you, one, decide to go out to California? Because I don't think we actually mentioned this, but Zoom Pizza is located in Mountain View, kind of the heart of Silicon Valley over there by San Francisco. And um, when did you, and when did pizza robots come up? <laughs> Two totally distinct things, actually, in a way. I mean, so I'm from San Francisco. I'm, I'm born and raised here. My, you know, my grandparents moved here. Um, my dad was raised here, so I'm a total San Francisco girl. It just turns out that I fell in love with New York. You know, my dad brought me on a on a business trip there when I was a little kid, and I came back and I wanted to have a New York accent and I wanted to move there. So, you know, at the first chance that I had, I did. I moved after college and then I stayed for like 14 years. The reason why I came back to California was kind of threefold. One, I missed my family, and my parents are getting older. My dad just turned 69 years old. Two, I met this incredible man named Alex Garden, who's my business partner, and he wanted to start the business here and add some traction. And three, I feel like, you know, in many ways, Silicon Valley in 2016 is a lot like, you know, how New York was, you know, in, in, in 2000, in the early mid 2000s when I was there. It's the center of so much change and innovation. And it really feels exciting to be here like right now. Will I go back to New York eventually? I hope so. You know, I, I mostly believe their heart in San Francisco. I left my heart in New York, but it's a great place to be right now. But then... Where did the uh, and this is almost like asking like a writer like where do you get your ideas from? But where did this idea come from? Like when did you? I mean, you have this success uh, with restaurants. When did you decide to like uh, take this leap and do something? I don't know. Maybe you did something other stuff at your other restaurants that hadn't been done before. But this seems like a fairly bold idea. So where did it come from? This is pretty major. I mean, I really, I have to give credit to Alex for having this idea for baking on the way. I mean, he ha was sitting on an airplane with the guy who owns like the largest chain of, I won't say the name, but the, one of the largest pizza franchises on the West Coast. And he was talking to this gentleman, plane talking, you know, they were, they were pulled off from the tarmac. And, and he realized like the underlying unit economics of the, of the pizza delivery model aren't really that compelling. You'll do per franchise about a million on the top with 11% margin on the bottom. And that's not a huge living. And the only way to really make any money is to buy more and more franchises. So he thought, well, this is crazy because everyone eats pizza. So why isn't this a better living for the people who are actually operating the franchises? So he just got to thinking and he thought, you know, not only is it not a great living, but delivery pizza is really just meh. 
it's okay. It's not fantastic. It's not like the wonderful Neapolitan pizza that, you know, you ate when you were living in the south of Italy in Naples or, or, or the great pizza that maybe you had at your friend's brick oven or, you know, at, at a place like Roberta's. So um, he realized that the, the thing that you had to do was actually get better pizza to the customer and faster and then reduce the operating costs for the franchisee. So he saw uh, just the oldest trick in the book. He saw a problem and got to inventing a solution. That's exactly it. And, you know, what? what's amazing about it is, like, when you just start to peel the onion, you find all these other places where the pizza industry is really, you know, broken. D- listen, th- the big pizza guys are doing very well financially. I cannot argue with that. And I think it's interesting that, you know, they delivered, they can deliver a pizza with a drone. And, you know, that's all very sexy. But to me, it feels a little bit, Jeff, like smoke and mirrors. What matters to me when I order pizza is that it tastes good. And that it's good for me, that I don't feel terrible after I'm eating it, that it gets there quickly. And I really would like to not have to eat food out of a cardboard box because I don't think you should eat anything out of a cardboard box. So, by the way, we also invent our own pizza boxes at Zoom. We call them pizza pods. They're made from sugarcane fiber. They're totally compostable. Um, and, you know, so, so that's another place where we looked at what was being done. <clears throat> and we said, well, this doesn't have to be this way. We can completely change the way that this is being done. And that's what we decided to do. And is that something you're considering selling to other pizzerias? Like, that seems like its own product, the box. I think it should be. And, you know, we've got some good intellectual property on it. I would love to get into the pizza box business. You know, we're a, a tiny bit overtasked right now just getting sure. um, getting to scale in the Bay Area. But I absolutely want for other operators to start using the sugarcane-based compostable box. One, because it's better for the environment. You know, we don't cut down any trees to make our box. It's a renewable source of sugarcane that we use. And two, because it actually helps the pizza to stay a lot tastier when it gets to you. Um, There are all sorts of ridges and nooks and crannies that keep the pizza from getting soggy. And and, and that matters as well, right? Right. I guess... A sugarcane box is probably more expensive than a traditional cardboard box, but I guess for you guys, you can do that because you ha- you're finding efficiencies in other places. Jeff, would you believe that this box is less expensive than a I cardboard box? I would not, box? but the whole, the whole premise of my question was that it was more expensive, so I would not believe it. But that's what I'm hearing. Isn't that mind-boggling? That is crazy. It is, it is by, by a good margin, by about 25%. And that's without us even doing all of the cost optimization. But but you are on to something, which is that we do spend more on our ingredients than our competitors. I spend more on my tomato sauce. I spend more on my, you know, my, my meat, my cheese. I buy super, super high quality ingredients. And I can afford to do that because, number one, I don't have to pay for a physical storefront. So I don't have to pay prime rent. And two, the automation does reduce some of my labor costs. So this is just delivery. There's no restaurant I can come eat at. There's no restaurant that you can go, but, but wherever you are, you know, at scale, we'll deliver you a pizza. Right, if right, you're right. sitting on a, we, so, but that's different, right? We, you don't have to be at a physical address, you know, with a, with a number on the door to get a pizza. Some of our customers, you know, will order from a park bench. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you miss that element at all? You know, the China silverware, music, flowers, piece of the business i just had 24 people over for thanksgiving dinner and that felt a little bit like having a restaurant and so that's kind of one way that i get my jones you know i will say that i enjoy going to restaurants a lot more now than i did in the past you know um so uh yeah 
<laughs> um, okay, so let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of this baking on the way here, because I'm trying to imagine it. These ovens, first of all, are they in a car or a van or a truck? Yeah, imagine a FedEx box truck. Okay. That's the form factor we're talking about. A Utilimaster with a Freightliner chassis. So, you know, 26-foot truck. Maybe we should actually take a step back and yeah. let's 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 walk through the whole thing. I am hungry. Oh. This is actually true. Okay. I open my phone. I order a pizza. You guys receive the order. What happens? That's that's pretty close to it. So, what what there's some stuff happening in the background which is that we can predict what pizza you want before you're hungry. That, come on, that's not right. You can't predict the pizza oh, I want. Yes. How do you oh, know yes, what pizza I want? Oh, yes, we can. It's all about artificial intelligence. You know, pizza, what's, what, what's your favorite pizza? Well, let me ask you this. In, of the people in your peer group, do you find it to be the case that people tend to order the same pizzas over and over again, maybe even on the same day? Yes, I think that is the case. Though I should note that um, our, uh, our mutual friend, Scott Wiener of Scott's Pizza Tours, has somewhat twisted my, my peer group's pizza consumption into this a whole other thing. But even, even amongst us, I would say that we, um, yeah, I would say that there's definitely some go-tos, for sure. Yeah, I would say, you know, when it comes to pizza, Scott has no peers. He's in a class, and maybe he's just there with Chris Bianco. He's there, they are in the Illuminati. But but most people order the same type of pizza on the same day of the week, and this is particularly true for families. I don't happen to have little kids of my own, but when I am babysitting my cousins, I find that if I can order the same thing they got the last time, they'll be happy again, and that's what people want. So uh, we use this kind of this habitual nature of pizza ordering to be able to make really good bets on what people will order. And that just allows us to operate very quickly. It's like Minority Report for pizza. I'm freaking out a little over here. <laughs> but you know what? It's all good. That's, that's the important thing. So, yeah, so we will, have, we will have intuited what pizza you want to order before you've even thought of it. That pizza will be waiting inside of a mobile oven somewhere proximate. So, Imagine that when you realize that you are hungry, which is, you know, a little bit after we've already known it, you'll open your phone or your computer, soon your Apple Watch maybe, and you'll just touch on the Zoom app, and you can click in one button and order a pizza. You can click a button called Resume, which allows you to order the exact same thing that you got last time. If you're in a wild and crazy mood, or perhaps you want us to spell the words I love you in pepperoni, which does happen. <laughs> then we'll receive a custom order. And that order, instead of getting to you in, you know, five to 10 minutes might take, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, but still incredibly fast. So you, you would know here at Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Studios, we order a peppers and onion pizza every Tuesday night to kind of celebrate the podcast recording. And you, you would have like a pepper and onion pizza kind of floating around my neighborhood waiting to get cooked just in anticipation of me ordering it. Just an anticipation, and I might give you a little nudge, which says, you know, hey, Jeff, just a quick reminder that, you know, we're, we're five minutes away with something that you might like. All right, so you have, you, I mean, let's, just for the purposes of this walkthrough, um, let's, <laughs> let's forget about your, your, tele, tel, uh, your mind-reading powers and <laughs> pretend that you didn't know I was ordering a pizza. And okay. I mean, or we could go back a few steps, but I guess I'm curious, you know, how does the pizza get put together? Absolutely. So the order is received and the order uh, basically, 
Um, let's assume we're starting with a custom order. So the first step is that a, a dough will be stretched out into a 14 and a half inch disc. That dough will be placed on a conveyor line. And the first thing that happens is a photograph is taken of that dough. Is a robot doing the stretching or is a human doing the stretching? Right now it's a human, but next week it will be a robot. And that human is going to be doing quality control. So you've like only recently cracked the, um, the, the dough stretching piece, uh, automating the dough stretching piece of things. The, yeah, that's right. The tricky thing about the dough stretching piece was something called, that we call snapback. So I'll stretch the dough out and then the dough, our dough ages for 48 hours, but it still has some good tension and elasticity in it. And so we needed to find the right stretching tool that would allow the dough to stretch out without shrinking back too far. Anyway, we nailed it. So I'm excited for that. What was for the that. trick? Uh, using this, the right amount of pneumatic power. We just needed a little more muscle. Who are the mad scientists you have building and perfecting <laughs> these pizza robots? The maddest of all mad scientists is a guy named Josh Goldberg. Um, he's my best friend in pizza at the moment. He's our chief architect. And then he's got a team of six engineers that work around the clock on everything from robotic integration, software development, to mechanical engineering, uh, building our mobile ovens. And that's the core team. That's so interesting. It's very different. I feel like most restaurants don't have teams of engineers is that, that that's got to be unusual right yeah I and mean, if you walk into zoom pizza you're going to see a whole team of engineers probably wearing hooded sweatshirts right with earphones at standing desks so i think you're right i think that's not what it looks like when you walk into most restaurants but then again we're not a restaurant right we are a distributed kitchen um that has pushed the ovens all the way to the edge of the ecosystem Anyway, shall I start back at the dough? So, yeah, I think we've got our dough stretched. Our dough is stretched. It goes onto the conveyor line. A camera takes a picture of the dough to to check that that is indeed a a dough and not something like, you know, a ladle that's been placed there accidentally. So quality control step. Once the picture determines that that is actually a pizza. This is so interesting to me. The computer is able to recognize – this is – every piece of this is – the future to me the computer is able to recognize just by looking at a picture if it is indeed pizza dough or if it's i don't know just a random object yes it, and, yes mm-hmm. and it's there's just like a conveyor belt where these this thing's just i'm imagining it's moving down a conveyor belt is that right yeah it's a bright blue conveyor belt and the reason why it's blue is because that also helps us to quality control the pizzas it's a contrasting color sure. background It okay. makes it really easy for us. Right. So the dough moves on to the line. The picture is taken. Everything's good. And that triggers this next sequence of steps that I'm going to describe right now. All right. So the next thing that happens is that our pizzas either have no sauce, white pies, heavy sauce, or light sauce. Depending on whether it's white, heavy, or light, either the first pizza robot named Giorgio. Oh, I'm so glad they have names. Oh, yes. They all have names. Do they have feelings? No, it turns out they don't because we yell at them and it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. What was the name of the second robot? Pepe. Okay, so the second robot named Pepe does what? Uh, Giorgio and Pepe are twin robots that are both in charge of dispensing pizza sauce. Our pizza sauce is a rustic crush, you know, and so we can't just use one of those pizzamatic style nozzle dispensers. Our pizza sauce has body and, and, and texture. 
So these are volumetric dispenser robots, and they dispense either 120 grams of pizza sauce or about 80 grams of pizza sauce, depending on the recipe. Is a human making the pizza sauce? Yes, a human makes the pizza sauce, but I'll tell you our recipe. It's tomatoes, olive oil, and a pinch of salt. Oh, okay. And then <laughs> why two robots to apply the sauce? What, what is, what is, how do they divide the labor between themselves? It depends on the, what pizza. So we have a pizza, this, this, the Sergeant Pepperoni, for example, needs 120 grams of sauce, whereas the low rider only needs 80 grams of sauce. So one machine is in charge of 80 grams, one machine does 120 grams. That's right. Giorgio does the heavy duty and Pepe does the light duty. Now help me understand, how come the 120 gram machine can't just spit out two thirds of uh, its, you know, volumetric load? Well, Jeff, what you're talking about is dynamic sauce variability, and that is in our development pipeline. Bravo. So <laughs> you're, you're working on it. But what is the current, what is the current problem that is trying to be solved? Like, just uh, to me, you, you heard what kind of chef I am. But to me, it seems like if the machine can spit out uh, 120 grams of tomato sauce, it should be able to spit out two-thirds that much, right? Yes. the Having your machine have to do multiple tasks within one cell is more complex than always doing one task. I see. So since we have so many variables that are moving in tandem, we've isolated all of those variables and each cell does only one thing currently. But as the system becomes better, essentially, those cells can be dynamic. Did you and the engineers study um, any particular pizza chefs? I mean, is there a pizza chef on staff who is sort of working with the engineers to kind of troubleshoot dough stretching and figure out why it's not working and how it should be working and trying to get it, you know, is there someone specific, I guess, that the, the computers are trying to, that the robots are trying to replicate? That's, his name is Aaron Butkus. He is, I think, the best pizza chef I've ever met. He came from Roberta's in Brooklyn. Oh, when I started shit. this that's company, with, <laughs> he's, he's a serious guy. Roberta's, so that's, that's one of the best pizzerias in Brooklyn, which means it's one of the best in New York, mm -hmm. which means it's one of the best in the country. That's right. I love Roberta's, and I feel super, super honored that Aaron chose to move across the country to uh, be one of the founders of Zoom Pizza. He was actually the fourth employee, so it was the co-founders our chief technical officer, and then Aaron is our executive chef. And we actually, you know, that was the team for, for, for a, a long time, just the four of us hanging out, making pizza together. But, but you're right. We look at Aaron, we watch his motion, we watch what tools he used, and then we ask the robots to mimic that motion. We fit the robots with what are called EAOTs or end-of-arm tools that match the tools that Aaron would use. So the robot has arms and hands and tools, just like the chef has arms and hands and tools. So is a lot of Aaron's job then collaborating with the engineers to get the robots to be better at being Aaron, as opposed to, you know, just making food like most chefs do? Exactly. A huge amount of Aaron's job is working with the engineering team to make sure that the system performs the same way that he would perform. Another huge part of Aaron's job is recipe development and ingredient selection. So he spends a lot of time on, time on farms. He spends a lot of time with cheesemakers. He spends a lot of time jamming and developing recipes. But it's kind of nice because for a guy like Aaron that's been making pizza for 20 years, standing up in front of an 800 degree oven, breathing flour, 
this is, you know, a much gentler physically, you know, it's, it's, it's intellectually more rigorous, but physically it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier for him to do this than what he was doing in the past. Are you aware of any precedent for what you're doing? Anyone who has uh, done technology and food with kind of the ratio that you guys are doing it? There's some cool companies out there. You know, have you heard of the hamburger robot? No, please tell me everything I need to know about the hamburger robot. So there's a company in in San Francisco, uh, Mountain View, actually, no, San Francisco, um, with Silicon Valley engineers called Momentum Machines. And they're working on a hamburger robot. Um, which is fascinating and, frankly, more complex than pizza. Um, but these engineers are, are some of the smartest on Earth. And, but their model is different. They're actually going to be opening a restaurant where people can come and interact with the robot and see the robot. A lot of our technology happens behind the scenes at do, Zoom Pizza. Do people who order Zoom Pizza all know and appreciate that their pizza was made by robots? It depends on the segment. Some people are absolutely obsessed with the idea of the robots, you know, especially, I, can I tell you something, when Alex and I started, we thought, gosh, you know, people might think that, that this is this is weird and Martin might not like it. And we were totally wrong. When we had our first class of summer interns who were mostly high school and college students, they, they completely, you know, changed our mind and they let us know that folks are excited about this. So there's some people for whom the robot element's really important. But frankly, you're not going to get a repeat customer from the robot angle. You, right, you get a repeat right. customer, yeah, from, from using high quality ingredients that taste good, you know, and that make them feel good after they eat them, you know, and for being on time. The fact that you can order a Zoom pizza and it gets to you in five to 20 minutes is is great. You know, most people are used to waiting 45 minutes or longer for their pizza. And our pizza is actually less expensive than, than most competitors. It's even as affordable as someone like Domino's. The average is about $1.88 a slice. Because you have Pepe, and what was the other robot's name, Giorgio? Giorgio, and there are two more, but we haven't got there yet, uh, but, but go ahead. Because you have Pepe and Giorgio, um, you know, working on applying tomato sauce, does that mean that every pizza that comes out is going to be identical? Or is there some variability between them? There's lots of variability because the dough itself is an aged dough. So these, this dough is, you know, made in the traditional method with a mother dough. You know, we, we feed the mother at night. We draw from the mother in the morning. The dough rests for 48 hours. So each individual dough ball is going to have a different character, a different amount of, 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 of air that's present. Um, the flavor is going to be similar because we're using that mother dough. But no, the answer is the pizzas will not look alike. And in fact, if we see too much homogeneity, then we know that we've done something incredibly wrong in our in our development process. We don't want for the pizzas to be homogenous, and we certainly don't want them for them to look homogenous because they aren't. It's still a handmade product, but it's robot-assisted. All right, so Pepe and Giorgio have done their jobs. How many pizzas are Pepe and Giorgio turning out? an hour our facility will be able to produce 3,000 pizzas a day the average on a friday night is we can do about 100 pizzas in an hour right now what would a traditional pizzeria do oh my goodness a traditional pizzeria the best one that we know in our neighborhood can do about 40 in an hour and that's making and delivering and it probably takes them about 20 drivers in order to do that so, Giorgio and Pepe have done their job. The pizza is sauced. Now what? What's our next step on our journey here? The next step is that pizza needs to be spread out. So, there's a flex picker robot named Marta. 
Who, wh- why that, are these, who gives these robots names and why do they get these names? Like what? Are- I, name, I named the robots. I lived on a water buffalo farm in the south of Italy for some time. We had a thousand water buffalo there. And each of the water buffalo had, had its own beautiful Italian name. And there were names like Ludovico, Caterina. And I thought it was so enchanting. And so I decided I wanted to do that at Zoom Pizza. Oh, I've, I, I completely understand why you're naming the robots. But why these names? Like, why is that one Marta? Is there any, any reason to it? Or it just looks like a Marta? These, she, she does look like a Marta. But these are robots that are also just named after Italian friends that I had when I lived there. Perfect, perfect. Some of them. Marta, for example, was the woman who taught me how to make pasta. Oh, lovely. Okay, so what is Marta's job now that you've now that you've <laughs> memorialized her as a robot that does repetitive tasks? What does she do? Marta's job is to spread sauce, and remember that she has two different amounts of sauce to spread. She either has a heavy amount of sauce or a light amount of sauce. If she has a heavy amount of sauce, then she makes a spiral motion. If she has a light amount of sauce, then she makes a star shape, and then she finishes that star with a circle. That's how she spreads it. So this is just spreading the sauce? That's just spreading the sauce. Okay, okay. What is it like, where does the rubber meet the road? Like, what is the thing that actually touches the sauce look like? The end of arm actuator, or the rubber meeting the road, looks like a flat-bottomed ladle, or a white, rounded hockey puck. Hmm, okay, okay. I'm on board, I'm on board. (laughs) So now the sauce is spread, where are we going now? The next steps are done by human beings. These are cheese and toppings. So right now we have 17 pizzas on the menu. We're a very huge menu. Those 17 pizzas uh, mean about 80 different toppings, including cheese, produce, and meat. And so humans are applying these toppings. And is that still on the conveyor belt? The pizza never leaves the conveyor belt. And in fact, one of the worst things that you can do, if you really wanted to give me a bad day, you would take one of the pizzas off the conveyor belt and put it back on. Actually doing that completely messes up the vision system. Because the vision system, once that camera takes a picture of the pizza on the line, the vision system is monitoring the pop, the progress of that pizza as it moves down the conveyor. So that pizza needs to stay in the right place. So this this is like an I love Lucy type situation where people are just like putting <laughs> putting things on a con- that's that's how I imagine people working on conveyor belts, um, but it's, it, it can't be that frantic, right? Like how, how? Well, the way that we get away from making it frantic is we have a, a a stop start button that looks a lot like the easy button, and it allows you to dynamic to stop and start the line very quickly and easily without having to you know reboot the entire system. So anybody who needs more time. Anybody that's new or is, has run out of an ingredient can easily stop the line and start it again with no problem. So why is this step done by humans? The toppings, I can see, I can imagine the answer is that there's a lot of different toppings, but cheese, like, uh, wh- why, what makes these steps require uh, human intervention? When we looked at automation, we decided to prioritize the places in the assembly process that were either the most prone to variability or to accident or injury. So the first thing that we knew we wanted to automate was putting the pizzas into the 800-degree oven. The second thing that we knew was that the dispensing and the spreading of the sauce was 
was a place where we had a lot of variability. It was difficult to get human beings to apply the right portion, and it was very difficult to get them to spread consistently. So we, we prioritized those two steps. The third step was the stretching out of the dough. I don't know if you've ever thrown dough, but it's not easy. And so um, the next step, as we mentioned, is this dough stretching um, tool, which is coming online this year. The cheese and the toppings are not quite as difficult, actually. Human beings do a fantastic job with those steps. They're very safe steps, and they're very easy. Makes sense. And then is that it? We're ready to go in the oven? That's not it. The the next robot, and I guess I shouldn't have favorites, but the truth is that I do. The next robot is my favorite, and his name is name his name is Bruno. Bruno is a six-axis robot. He's my favorite robot because of how powerful he is. What does a six-axis robot mean? It can move in six axes? Yes, exactly. I'm doing it right now, but we're on radio, so you can't see. But imagine being able to move your body six different ways. So bending, turning, stretching, pivoting. He has six joints that allow him to move. And what he does, this robot Bruno, is he takes the pizza off of the conveyor line and he puts it into the 800-degree stone oven, which is a double-decker oven, top and bottom. And so this is a hard step. When the pizzas are at the end of the assembly line, they've already been sauced and topped, so they're heavy and, and wet, and the toppings have a tendency to roll around. So the, the step of getting the pizza off of the conveyor line and into the oven is actually really quite difficult. Bruno does it very well. He's very firm and fast, but also gentle. How long have you guys been working on this concept? How long did it get you to get to where we are today? We use an agile development process, which means that we're constantly in development. You guys are in Silicon Valley. (laughs) It's true. It's true. We are everything that you imagine that we are. Um, But, you know, the, the, the process that I described to you just now, that pizza assembly process, that really took us just about... Uh, two months to design and uh, the balance of four months to to fabricate fabricate and install. So we had a test version of that assembly line in January of, of, of this year. And what took a little bit longer, obviously, was getting into market and to make sure that everything that we did in the testing phase actually worked in production and, of course, that people liked it and that it was easy for them to place orders. Now, the scooping it into the oven how do you solve that problem of like topping shakiness i guess the pro the thing's just steady it's a robot he's very steady the end of arm tool for this robot is a is a little conveyor belt and so the pizza just rolls onto that conveyor belt very gently so it's like a little extra length of conveyor belt at the end of the real conveyor belt exactly pizza doesn't even know what's going on it's like hey it it starts to move it's like hey i didn't get off the conveyor belt what's going on here it starts what's going on yeah and then when the the 800 degree stone oven well when the photo eye determines that the that the pizza has arrived directly on the center of that conveyor belt the conveyor belt stops then the robot pivots and then the conveyor rolls in the opposite direction scooching the pizza off of the belt and into the oven but then and I guess this is probably the next step. How do you get it out of the oven? There's another robot named Vincenzo that's coming online that it's exactly like Bruno, but in reverse. Is there a conveyor belt in the oven, too? How does it get from the oven onto the new conveyor belt? Yes, there is a conveyor belt in the oven. And it's important to know, so we par-bake the pizzas in that first oven, and then the pizzas go into their individual mobile oven where they go out for delivery. Oh, yeah, but- I forgot all about that. We got another oven in the car, so this is just a, a exactly. pre-bake of sorts. 
this is a pre-bake, which is really important because that's how the pizzas can be, you know, food safe and how they can survive travel. So they get that first initial bake. So everything gets set and then out they go for delivery. Okay. Now we're getting into where we, now uh, we're almost at the present where I ordered the pizza. We're keep in mind we're still in the past. You still, you're still anticipating <laughs> my, my desires. So uh, now the pizza has been taken out of the oven how does it get into its the next oven inside the truck? Vincenzo, the robot that I'm describing now, takes the pizza out of the parbake oven <clears throat> and swivels and puts it into one of 128 mobile ovens that are placed in a U-shape around that parbake oven. So he's doing the mirror of what Bruno's doing. But rather than taking pizza off the line and putting it into the oven, he's taking it off of the oven and putting it into a mobile oven. And are those mobile so, ovens already on the truck, or do they need to be then moved onto the truck? They need to be moved onto the truck. The mobile ovens are arranged in racks that look a lot like server racks for you know for in a, in a technology setting. So, fifty-six individual mobile ovens can fit onto one rack. The rack has omnidirectional wheels. Once a rack is loaded, it gets rolled out to a lift, and then the lift puts it onto the back of the truck where it gets locked into place, and then that truck is ready to go out. We actually like to get 56, I'm sorry, uh, 28 ovens per rack, two racks per truck, so 56 ovens per truck. Sorry about that math. But the point is that 56 individual mobile ovens can fit on one truck, and each mobile oven has one pizza inside. Okay, so now you've got a truck full of 56 uh, pre-baked pizzas, each in its own oven, waiting to waiting to be adopted into a new home. Is is the driver a uh, human? The, oh, the driver is a human. Yes, the driver is a human. We sometimes get asked about um, driverless cars, and um, you know, obviously, uh, being in Google's backyard, we we watch that project pretty quickly. I mean, pretty closely. Um, but our drivers are humans. The cool thing about their job, though, Jeff, is that they don't have to worry about when to turn the oven on, when to turn the oven off. All they have to worry about is driving safely. They don't even have to worry about what order, what pizza to take in what order. All of that routing is, 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 is done by our computer system. So the driver's more efficient, too, because if I'm driving for one of the big chains, I go out with, I don't know, maybe a 10 pizza. I've never delivered pizza. We have to get Scott on the phone. But, uh, you know, I go with maybe 10 pizzas at once, and then I, got, I deliver them in a specific order, and then I, 10's a lot, too. It's probably not even that many. Then I got to yeah. go back and reload, whereas your guy's got 56 before he has to come home. Right, exactly. And then imagine, I don't know if you're a science fiction, you know, person, but I am. How I'm did you guess? With- How did you guess? <laughs> so you've read Snow Crash, right? Oh, so- yeah. When I, when I was yeah. in middle school or something, I loved it. I loved right. Snow Crash. Yeah. So think about the first chapter from Snow Crash, you know, when the driver's out panicked because that pizza that's in his car is, is you know, going to going to soon cross the threshold after which he'll be he'll be killed for getting the pizza to that person late. So just imagine the stress of being a normal pizza delivery driver. You've got three bags of pizza going to three different houses. Maybe the first customer is mildly happy because he got there in half an hour. The second customer is just okay. He got there maybe 10 minutes later. But the third customer that you're trying to deliver to deliver to is probably livid by this point because you're going to be, you know, it's going to take you at least an hour to get there. So you're not making everyone happy. And then imagine this. You have to get tipped by every single person. At Zoom, there are no tips. All of our drivers make super high wage, um, 
they have free health, vision, and dental insurance. They're shareholders in the company, so there's no tipping involved. So our drivers don't even have to worry about haggling for tips. They just have to worry about driving safely and giving really good customer service. But now let me tell you my main concern with this whole operation. I'm picturing your truck, and it makes a left turn, and all the pizzas are in their oven getting sloshed around, toppings everywhere. How, how do you maintain level pizzas with 56 level pizzas within 56 ovens? Well, at Zoom, we have one size of pizza. We have a 14-inch pizza, which means that all of our equipment is optimized for that form factor. So the profile of the oven is actually incredibly small. They're very small ovens with very small, with very little bit of very, very, very little room in the cavity for any jostling to happen. What I will say, though, is when we move into places like San Francisco, for example, where the hills are very steep, um, that we will have to gimbal mount the ovens so that the ovens will always be, um, you know, planar to the direction that the that the vehicle's on. So that's like a is that like a steady cam type setup where like the pizza's always going to be level no matter what. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a gimbal mount, so we already have the that uh, engineering worked out to solve that problem. It is so fun to ask you just to bring up little <laughs> issues because you guys, it's obviously been so thoroughly considered from all angles. Is there any like piece of the process we didn't cover here? I guess. Wait, hold on. I didn't get my pizza yet. So now it's in. I've placed the order. The guy mm-hmm. is out with the pizza. We're finally caught back up to the present. I've ordered the pizza, yeah. and then. It's it's in my neighborhood because you guys knew I was going to be doing that. And mm-hmm. then, what, like, how does it? Does the driver take it out of the oven? What what happens? Do I interact with the driver at all? You do interact with the driver. So you order your pizza, and the ovens containing your pizza get um, an alert that they have work to do. And so when we determine that we're four minutes away from your house, based on GPS, GPS and real-time drive information, so traffic data, the ovens containing your pizzas turn on, and then they complete the cooking cycle and turn off. The driver pulls up to your location, <clears throat> goes into the cab, and he'll see two, if you order two pizzas, he'll see two glowing red lights. He'll push those buttons. The pizzas will be ejected onto the base of that special sugarcane pizza pad that I described to you. And then he'll go over to another robot named Leonardo. Leonardo is a self-cleaning pneumatic pizza cutter. I can't believe this is the first robot who shares a name with a Ninja Turtle that we're coming across here. (laughs) They're all Italian. You're going with Italian names, so it should be be easy. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, there's so many wonderful Italian names. But anyway, Leonardo cuts the pizza into eight perfectly even slices. He cuts the pizza while it's in the package, so he cuts through the surface of the pizza without cutting the package itself, and then that pizza is topped, and then out it goes. We hope that you'll meet us at the truck to save time, but we often will climb up the stairs to your house, ring your doorbell, and hand you your pizza. I guess, it's, uh, is it something like Uber where I can see exactly where you are and, like, you know, he's two blocks away? Yes, and we often have, especially children, like to run outside and meet us at the curb. But you can track the, the progress of your pizza on your app from the second you order it. As we're driving, you can see us driving up, and then obviously you'll get a note that we've arrived and that we're outside. And now I finally have my peppers and onion pizza. I'm enjoying a delicious pizza. Now you're enjoying your delicious pizza that is also, by the way, 40% fewer calories than the national competitors, half the fat, um, and, and costs about the same. So obviously we've covered many innovations, many problems you guys solved. Are there any we didn't cover? Is there any piece of this, a problem that you guys came across that you solved that we, we didn't cover just now? 
One of the things that has always annoyed me about, let's call it, big pizza is that it seems like they kind of make their pizza recipes in a boardroom. I don't, for example, care about somebody sprinkling gold dust on the crust of my pizza to celebrate the Super Bowl. Those kind of antics have always really annoyed me. I think good pizza is made from the ground up. But when you're one of the really huge companies, you can't really be that nimble because you're locked into a distribution system that really optimizes um, for commodity food. Zoom has an incredibly dynamic menu where we can celebrate ingredients that are in season for maybe only eight weeks. So you can see corn pizzas, peach pizzas, fig pizzas. Um, so there's an incredibly seasonal character to our menu that we're able to um, that we're able to celebrate, and it's only because of the technology that we're able to do that. Uh, earlier, you mentioned that burgers were actually a much more difficult problem to solve than pizza. Why is that exactly? Well, in the first place, we don't use any raw meat at Zoom. Right. So from a food safety standpoint, it's a, it's, a, it's a delightfully clean operation, and we're able to really adhere to very stringent standards. So raw meat is complex to begin with. The second thing about burgers is they have temps. I happen to like mine medium rare. You might like yours medium or medium well. And so for any given pizza recipe, I mean the burger recipe, you also have to optimize for the meat temp. Then you also have the moisture issue, issue which is difficult to solve um, because burger patties have a lot of moisture that, that seeps out. So I think the right team is solving the problem over at Momentum Machines, but I'm certainly happy to be in the pizza business myself. And is it just the pizza business for you guys for now? Have you considered it all expanding to any other foods? You know, Jeff, the patent that we have for cooking en route actually covers cooking any food en route, not just pizza. So... I mean, the possibilities are endless. Right now, we're hyper-focused on delivering the best 14-inch pizza in Mountain View, California. Um, but we really would love to keep going with this idea that everyone in the world has the right to really high-quality food at a fair price. And that should be any food, not just pizza. Did you guys have any trouble with the FDA or any sort of government regulations where they were like, you, when you explained that you wanted to cook pizzas in a moving truck, like, was that, a, did that... Did anyone balk at that, or is that uh, you need a special oh, sign off for that? Sure. Oh yeah, we needed lots of special sign offs at the federal, the state, and the local level. Um, it took a tremendous amount of uh, conversation and information sharing to be able to um, get the right folks to understand what we were doing. Um, but I will say that uh, you know these are the same people that are our customers now. So they have totally uh, sort of understood the benefit of, of what we're doing. It turns out that we're operating in a way that's a lot safer for human beings, both the people working and for our customers. But of course, anytime you're the first person doing something, you're going to raise some eyebrows. So you guys are currently in Mountain View. You already mentioned San Francisco. Obviously, if you're building something like this, it seems like one of the best parts is that like now you'll know how to build it. And you can build it in other cities as time goes on, right? That's right. We're so excited about scaling. Um, we're going to do our Bay Area scaling, expansion. That's the, the next word. Yeah, you're, you're totally <laughs> you're totally in Silicon Valley. We're scaling. <laughs> that's right. We we. I mean, I'd love to get back to New York City, obviously on a personal basis. But everybody in America eats pizza. Everybody in the world eats pizza. And you're absolutely right. Once we nail the model in one place, um, the idea is that we can replicate it. You know, from 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 market to market. But we always want to keep that regional flair. 
So when we get to New York, we may do a pizza that we don't do in San Francisco um, because each place in the world has something special about it. We really want to highlight that. Well, how can people uh, who live in Mountain View and want to eat your pizza now, but also people who are just interested in this and want to follow you, how can people um, and find out when it comes to their city, how can people find you and Zoom Pizza online? I would say, please go to our website, zoompizza.com. Z-U-M-E, right, Z-U-M-E, folks. <laughs> if um, you're an Android or an iPhone user, go ahead and download the app. Even if we're not in your market right now, you can get a sense of what we're doing and what our menu looks like and get excited. And then we also have a pretty awesome social media profile. So don't be afraid to follow us on the gram um, at zoompizza.com. Well, Julia, I, I love what you guys are doing. I love all the innovation and all the problems you guys are solving. And just, I don't know, it's something, it's, it's something new in pizza, which is always uh, very, very interesting and fun to hear about. Uh, so thanks so much for coming and telling us all about it. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was really fun talking to you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. And in fact, thank you for listening to another year's worth of uh, Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Shows. I had a terrific podcast here. I had a lot of fun, a lot of great episodes. I hope you enjoyed them too. Uh, because there's going to be more of them next year. I've already got some fun ones planned, and I can't wait to spring them on you. It begins on uh, the two weeks from two weeks from now. So what is that, January 9th or something? Let me look. It begins January 3rd, I meant to say, with the return of the mystery episode. That's right, the mystery episode is back, and you will not know what lies within until uh, January 3rd when you get it in your podcast app and start listening. It is a fun one, and I think you'll enjoy. But for now, I'm just going to say have a great new year. Stay safe, everyone out there. And I'll uh, see you for uh, another year of Jeff Ruby, Jeff Ruby shows in two weeks. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.